Hello and welcome to Bread. We're a newish, spirit-filled, non-denominational church meeting in the Los Feliz area of Los Angeles, or we hope to be again sometime soon. Everything we do as a church is, as with most of the rest of life, currently happening online. Our current teaching series is on Philippians, a letter written to a church for whom Paul had a clear affection about how to find the joy of the Lord amidst whatever comes our way. It felt like a poignant moment to stop and see this stuff, and we hope it helps. Hey everyone, my name is Raul, if you haven't met me before, and I am coming to you from Highland Park. Welcome to my kitchen. It is a perfect 61 degrees this morning, and I am so pumped uh, about the weather lately. It's been such a great change from our 90 degree days to our 60 degree days. Last weekend, I actually spent some time in the snow. We went to Idlewild, a small mountain town out east. It's at about 5,000 feet elevation. And when we heard that there was gonna be snow, I figured because we're not that high up, we shouldn't expect a whole lot. Uh, But when we got up there, the snow started coming down and it was magical. It felt like Christmas. We even turned on Mariah Carey's Christmas album for a second. And as we were driving, I saw that the snow covered the roads more and more. Then that the wind blew harder and the sky turned darker and darker. And as I kept driving, the snow fell heavier and heavier. And it went from a beautiful winter wonderland to feeling more like the day after tomorrow. And as I came to a turn which was on an incline, the car suddenly stopped moving. My foot was on the gas and the car just wasn't moving. The car was losing traction because of the snowy roads. And I was, I was inching forward, you know, little by little. And, and, and as I was doing that for a couple minutes, I noticed that there was a line of cars behind me. And I could just feel these drivers, you know, pressuring me to figure it out. You know when you cross an intersection, but you don't quite get to the other side, and so you're stuck in the middle, and, and everyone's kind of looking at you to figure it out? Well, I felt that exact same feeling. And I was stuck in you know, in the snow and I, and, and I was blocking a road and, and my confidence in my car, uh, in my SUV to get out of that situation started to fade. And even more so as this Prius, nothing against Priuses, but even more so as this Prius began to make its way around me. And my confidence in my car was shaken. And I think recently, Our confidence in a lot of things has been shaken. Our confidence in our nation's leaders and our COVID response in maybe our workplaces as cases begin to spike um, and maybe even in God himself. But similarly, the Philippians were facing social pressures that shook their own confidence in Jesus. Their confidence in their relationship with Jesus was being challenged by Paul's opponents The question posed for them wasn't whether or not Jesus existed, but how valuable Jesus was and whether or not their worth could be found in Christ. And so in today's passage, Paul addresses this issue and cleverly levels the playing field by bringing Jesus to the center. Here's Philippians 3, 2 through 11. Philippians 3, 2 through 11. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. 
For it is we who are circumcised, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. The previous talks did a really great job of covering the Philippian situation and context well, so I won't spend too much time uh, doing that, but I do want to bring our attention to Paul's method here. Remember, Philippi was a Roman colony made up of wealthy elites, patriots, emperor worshippers, and war veterans. And Philippi had a way of maintaining social order that involved giving everyone a social location you know, allowing accesses to some, denying them to others, labeling certain groups. Uh, you can imagine a dollhouse and, you know, characters with the, the, the dolls with the most honorable status would be placed on top and everyone else would kind of just fall below. Um, and they did this by establishing a social practice called the Corsus Honorum or Course of Honor. And it was a social rating. Similar to that one episode of Black Mirror, but not exactly the same. Um, but the course of honor was a way of tracking your honor and accessing certain benefits in society. It was a series of statements and credentials that people would publicly present whenever possible. And in doing so, it brought two things to the forefront, a person's value and a person's credibility. And so Paul's opponents were using their own corsus norum to get their way in the church. They insisted that Gentile Christians ought to become Jewish followers first uh, by practicing the Jewish law, including circumcision. And what Paul does here is he refutes those claims and comes back with the best possible credentials that any Jewish person of the day could have had. He says, okay, I'll play your game. He buys into their game and upends the entire thing. And he gives his list of credentials. He says, I am an Israelite by race. I am Jewish by birth. I belong to the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe that remained faithful the longest. Uh, he is a Hebrew of Hebrews, which implied that he was well familiar with the Hebrew language, a, uh, a skill that not a lot of Jewish people at the time had. And on top of everything else, he was a Pharisee. He was a uh, faithful and sincere upholder of the law. And so this would have put Paul's opponents to shame because they thought they were more qualified uh, than Paul. 
And, but then Paul does this thing that would have made every Philippian citizen cringe. He denounces it all. He says, yeah, I've got this long list of credentials. I've got this long list of, of accomplishments, but it's all crap. Throw up. Literally human waste is what's in Paul's mind. And in doing so, he shifts the focus from himself, his status, his credentials, and that of his opponents to the one who is much more powerful, to Jesus himself. Because Paul wants his readers to know that, that for him, it's not about the right birth status or credentials. It's about Jesus because Jesus outvalues everything. And so the question for us is what would it look like if we put our confidence not in our social status or credentials or political party, but in Christ himself? I've noticed that the too often credentials, social status, it keeps people from being seen. Whether you're someone at the top or someone uh, below When we focus on these, we lose sight of someone's humanness. And this happens at every level of society. It just looks different in every circle. And we do this with the color of a person's skin as well. We fail to look past them at the person they are because we've been conditioned to draw our attention to the external, to appearances. And I remember I was once asked if I was a landscaper because of my name and the color of my skin. And so this happens. But Paul here is not rejecting his ethnic heritage or his culture. He's simply putting it in its rightful place. He's putting it under Christ. Because we've seen what happens when people put their ethnicity, their culture, their social status, their credentials above everything else. It brings division and it brings destruction. And frankly, this passage has been used to justify anti-Semitic speech and language. Because, well, Paul does it. But elsewhere, Paul affirms his deep love for Judaism, his, his love for his people and his ethnic identity. See, this isn't about hating where we come from or what we accomplish. It's about setting our confidence in its rightful place, that our confidence is in Christ because Christ is much more valuable than anything we could ever attain. And so we play by a different set of rules. Our value isn't based on our level of productivity or our success. See, in heaven, there is no net worth. Our confidence is in the one who loves us. And we, when we know Jesus, when we know ourselves to be loved by the one who created us, it does something to us. It shifts something within us. Paul writes this, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And the term knowing carries with it undertones of the Old Testament word for know. It's personal knowledge and acknowledgement. It's not just factual knowledge, knowing knowing with your head, but but acknowledging with, with your whole being. Think about the last time you cooked pasta. You know, when you're cooking pasta and the time comes for you to pour the, the, the noodles into a strainer. Ashley calls it a colander. I call it a strainer. Whatever you prefer. 
um, but you know that the pot is hot. So you conduct yourself in a way that acknowledges that there is heat radiating from it. And any careless fumbling uh, with the pot could, could result in you getting burned. And so the same idea is at play. In the word knowing, knowing Christ, his love for us, and acknowledging that love with our whole being, with our mind, with our body, with, with our heart, with our, with our desires. It, it, it's a, a whole encompassed acknowledging. And so when we know Christ, when we know Christ, the grip on our social status and credentials as a source of worth and value begins to fall away because Jesus outvalues any of it. So then does Jesus want us to get rid of our social structures? Not at all. Jesus' teaching was, wasn't in the elimination of social status, but in the inversion of it. The last are first, the outsiders are in, the poor inherit the kingdom, the good news is preached to all, and those at the bottom are set on top. This is what God is after in the church. And this unfolds as we know Christ, as we, as we know and acknowledge how much he loves us and that our value is found in him. Now, I want to bring in another passage that I think captures this idea well, and we'll see comparisons between Paul and this character in Luke 19. Luke 19, 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacharias. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacharias, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to the guest of a sinner. But Zacharias stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so Paul and Zacchaeus represent two similar characters on different ends of the spectrum. Paul is religious, Zacchaeus is irreligious, Paul was a Pharisee, Zacchaeus was a tax collector, Paul was faultless in the law, and Zacchaeus was wealthy, which implied a sense of, which implied um, some dishonest transactions. Uh, Paul was an insider, Zacchaeus was an outsider, Paul was seen as zealous and righteous, and Zacchaeus was seen as a traitor. And yet Jesus meets both of them as they were, where they were, and something shifted in them. They become disarmed. In Acts 9, we read that Paul uh, was on his way to Damascus to uh, imprison and persecute Christians when Jesus meets him on the way. And so as Jesus meets him, Paul is disarmed. We, we, they become restored. 
uh, Zacchaeus is given back to his community. Zacchaeus is returned back to his community. Jesus calls him a son of Abraham. Jesus is bringing him back into the fold. He's acknowledging that he had been rejected, that he had been cast out. And he's saying, no, this one's, this one's in. Zacchaeus is in. And they both become aware of the, of the great value that is in Jesus. They leave everything behind. They, they sacrifice so much as they acknowledge the love that Jesus has demonstrated uh, for each of them. And so the love of Jesus, it disarms, it restores, and it's worth more than anything that could ever be ascribed or acquired because his love outvalues everything. And so Jesus is the God who seeks and saves. Jesus is the one who finds and gives back what was lost. What we've lost is personal relationship with our creator. It's Genesis 3, and, and we've lost our knowing of God. And Jesus says, hey, I'm going to give you back what was lost. I'm going to restore that relationship. I'm going to return that knowing uh, back to you, that ability to know, that ability to, to be in close relationship with God. I'm going to give that back to you. And so... It doesn't matter how far we've gone off the rails. Jesus invites us to know him again, to know the potency of his love, to know the depths of his compassion, to know the sound of his voice, and to know ourselves in his love. And I'd like to end with this. Paul uses these terms, gain and loss, which are economic terms that were used uh, in daily transactions in the marketplace. And I'll be honest, I don't know much about investment or finances, uh, but I do know that loss is typically a bad thing and gain is what people want. And so what we gain in Christ is much more valuable than what we can lose. Another economic term that the Bible uses again and again is uh, the term forgiveness. It's debt forgiveness. And economically, when debt is forgiven, it makes financial freedom much more possible. One is not bound to their money, but their money works for them now. And so what in Jesus, we gain forgiveness. We gain forgiveness. God offers us freedom from the creditors of sin and, and guilt by forgiving us. And God is trying to tell us, that in the same way that we want financial freedom and abundance, we can have that, but with our soul, as we take him up on what he offers. I love what Jesus says. He says this. He says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? When we put our worth and our list of credentials or what we've built for ourselves, what we've accomplished or what we've been born into, we lose a part of ourselves. And Jesus' invitation is to come back to what we've lost, to come to, the, to know the one who loves us without any reservation. I think uh, Martin Luther King said this well in his sermon, Drum Major Instinct, and talking about what he wants his funeral to look like. Uh, he draws attention to 
not, not, not to his credentials or his accomplishments, but to his knowing and acknowledgement of Christ's love. He says this, says, tell them not to mention that I have a Nobel Peace Prize. That isn't important. Tell them not to mention that I have three or four hundred awards. That is not important. Tell them not to mention where I went to school. I'd like somebody to mention that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to give his life serving others. I'd like for someone to say that day that Martin Luther King tried to love somebody. I want you to say that day that I tried to be right on the war question. I want you to be able to say that day that I did try to feed the hungry. And I want you to be able to say that day that I did try in my life to clothe those who were naked. I want you to say on that day that I did try in my life to visit those who were in prison. I want you to say that I tried to love and serve humanity. And so this morning, uh, we're challenged not to view our external uh, accomplishments, our credentials, but to view ourselves in light of Christ's love in light of that love that moves us, in light of that love that embraces us, that, 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 that holds on to us. This is the love of Jesus, and this is what we're invited to know. We're invited to know how deep, how wide, how broad, how long the love of Christ is for each and every one of us. And so wherever we may be this morning, I'd like to set our focus on the one who loves us. The one who loves us. The one who forfeited all. The one who turned down the benefits of being equal with God. Who put on skin. Who came moved into our neighborhood to love us and to give us life and life in abundance. This is the Jesus that we serve. And this morning, he invites us to know him personally and to know the depths of his love. And so as we go back into worship, I'd like to invite you to open up your hands and close your eyes. There's no magic here. Uh, it's simply so that we're not distracted. And in your mind's eye, imagine what you've been given, whether it's uh, privileges or credentials or accomplishments, whatever we've earned. And I simply want us to hold it out like this in our imagination. And I'd like to invite you to pray these words with me. Jesus, I trust you. I trust you with this. And so I leave that with us this morning. That as we leave these things with Jesus, that we would find ourselves to be loved deeper, to find our, our, ourselves to be uh, closer to him. Amen. Zoom prayer after this. Have a blessed day. There's nothing worth more.
could ever come close Nothing can compare You're our living hope Your presence, Lord I've tasted and seen All the sweetest of loves Where my heart becomes free Our hearts long for to be all.